You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. Anyone can become an agent of innovation. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Welcome to Trillions. I'm Joel Weber. And I'm Eric Balchunas. Eric, the past week and change has been uh, a pretty interesting one in the market, to say the least. Uh, we're talking about Reddit, GameStop, Silver. Don't forget AMC, the movie theater chain. Oh, AMC. Yes, yeah. totally. It was, you know, we've been watching all year how commission-free trading plus a lockdown plus the Fed, which has helped stocks just go up relentlessly, has created this sort of perfect storm where you've got all these retail traders and then you throw in stimmy checks. (laughs) And tendies. Yeah, and and it's just getting crazy. It's like a big gambling casino. And what happened this week, in my opinion, is that overall trend had like a strain that took a more angry approach, which is, hey, let's, let's use this to get back at Wall Street. And I'll tell you, I've never been called suit so many times um, as I was last week on Twitter. And I, I started to get offended, but then I realized my profile picture, I'm wearing a suit. So I couldn't really complain. But that's who the Reddit people are trying to get back at the suits, who they, you know, obviously Wall Street hedge funds. And it became this fascinating national news story. And to help us uh, walk through how ETFs fit into it, we brought in a couple other non-suits uh, Catherine Greifeld and Claire Valentine of Bloomberg News um, were their reporters on ETFs. And we're going to talk to them about what they witnessed and what it all meant. This time on Trillions, help, my ETF got hijacked. Katie, Claire, welcome to Trillions. Thanks for having us. Yes, thank you. Okay, I have to ask, how did ETFs figure into the the GameStop rebellion? Because obviously GameStop, the stock, was a major target in all of this on, on Robinhood. ETFs, though, not didn't seem as obvious, at least at the beginning. Uh, clear. Yeah, I thought it was interesting because I spent a lot of time on Reddit this week and just looking at the chat rooms and things like that, no one's talking about ETFs. They're, they want to really pump up GameStop. It's these individual stocks, as we've seen retail investors really be interested in. But yet, you know, GameStop is part of ETFs, so it undoubtedly had an impact on it. And what was most striking, at least initially, is just how GameStop's um, price increase caused it to have an oversized weighting in a lot of these ETFs. And what ETFs were of of particular interest, Katie. Yeah, I was going to say it took a while to find an ETF angle, but uh, one emerged in the Spider S&P Retail ETF. Uh, That's ticker XRT. And I mean, it wasn't just XRT. You also saw it in in Gamer, the G-A-M-R, and also R-W-J. But it's felt particularly dramatic in XRT. I mean, GameStop's weight, this is an equal weight ETF, or it's supposed to be. But GameStop's weighting surged as high as 20%. 
which felt super dramatic. And you actually saw the fund's biggest single day outflow ever as people tried to, I mean, there's multiple theories. I spoke to Eric about it too, as I was trying to figure it out. There's multiple theories as to why that happened. Uh, it could have to do with the fact that people were just so desperate to get a hold of GameStop shares, or simply that the people who allocated to XRT for you know core retail sector exposure were like, I didn't sign up for this. I'm getting out. But it did shake up a bunch of passive index tracking ETFs eventually, which was super interesting. A couple of notes on this was um, Gamer, the video game ETF. There's like four of them, but only one held GameStop, and that's GAMR. And at one point, that ETF was up like 18% just on GameStop alone. The others were down. And then it, now it's reversed, obviously. But at one point, I think GameStop was a 32 or 33% weighting and I believe that at the time for like, I don't know, a couple hours there, it was the biggest weight in any ETF in the world um, at 30 something percent. You just don't see that. Um, the the one that it beat, I think, was an Argent, Argentina ETF where like one stock there like runs the whole country. And so it's more it makes sense there, not in a video game ETF. But then in like big ones like VTI, where you have like most of America is in these big, broad market ones. I looked at the performance and GameStop is a 0.02% weighting, and it, and it contributed 0.4% of the return that week. So you barely felt it, although there's indirect consequences as GameStop became, as the better GameStop did, the worse the market did. So you could argue that there was an indirect consequence on the bigger whole, uh, mainstream broad indexes, but inside the index, GameStop meant nothing outside of a couple of these sort of more niche plays that we just discussed uh, Katie brought up but but I think that that's a significant thing for us to spend a little bit more time on because we we do talk a lot about thematic ETFs here on trillions um and you know take your pick of the ones that we've talked about so even video games right so all of a sudden a video game ETF gets hijacked by something that's that most people might not even think was in the in the ETF how significant is that I mean to see something go from you know, uh, an also ran in the index to something 30, 30% of, the, of an ETF. Is that really supposed to happen that way? So what I think is interesting in this is that, uh, you know, I, I spoke to State Street about XRT in particular. I was like, what what are you going to do? It's a, it's a passive fund. It rebalances quarterly. Is there any scenario in which you would rebalance early? And the answer was no. So basically until March, it's, it feels like XRT and these other funds that rebalance on a schedule are kind of held hostage to GameStop's swings. I mean, I, I mentioned that it was as high as 20% in XRT. Eric mentioned it was as high as 30% in Gamer. And now in XRT, it's down to 6%, which is still a very sizable weighting when you consider that it should be closer to 1%. You know, again, this is an equal weighted ETF. It holds 95 securities. But until... March, it's really just, again, held hostage to the whims of GameStop and I guess Reddit to some extent. And uh, let me jump in here on the fact this is I find this fascinating. If you look at the ETFs that hold uh, GameStop and have the biggest allocation, one of them that shows up in the top 20 is the microcap ETF. And this is fascinating because GameStop went from like basically small micro to large cap and a big large cap. I think at one point it was the 300th biggest company or in the ballpark, I've never seen that. I mean, that's unprecedented that here you have like the 270th biggest stock and it's in a micro cap ETF. That, 
So I think it spoke to the quickness of the rise and the idea that the herd could lift the stock that quickly. And that's what got it national news, I think, is just how fast and how quick and how intense it happened. I mean, GameStop one day traded more than Tesla and nothing trades more than Tesla. And all week it traded over 100 billion. That is, it's now all falling apart and it's petering out. But it, it was... I don't know. I, I breathless. It was I was breathless, and my mind was blown all week. I got to be honest. Uh, plus the well, narrative it, it, of the little guy in the hedge fund. I mean, it was just there was so much going on. All these different people from um, you know celebrities were coming in and weighing in on it. I mean, it was wild. But again, we're not. We've never seen anything like that, and it also raises just questions about, especially with ETFs of like these unintended consequences of a Reddit phenomenon that suddenly hijacks something that's maybe not supposed to get hijacked. Uh, Claire, how have you been making sense of that? I mean, the main takeaway for me this week was just how weird it was. And that's everyone that I talked to, regular fund managers, were just so baffled by this. And I think Eric had a really, I loved his title of a note that he had. And it said, Wall Street Bets is hijacking some ETFs, but they can handle it. And I think to me, that's sort of the takeaway. You know, we're seeing GameStop's price come down now. These funds can handle it. You know, XRT is going to be fine. But along the way, it's really weird. And it's really throwing investors, I'm sure, for a loop who have invested in some of these ETFs thinking they were getting one thing and now they're getting another. But Joel, let me push back on that a little bit because one of the worries on ETFs was that they were going to actually kill any movement in stocks because it just this big blob that owned everything and nothing could ever move or there would be no price discovery um, I think this shows that the ETF is in the backseat and active is in control. And I, I would think that'd be reassuring. The problem is the driver in this case was out of their mind. And I think that's the new question is what if the driver is crazy? But that's, I think, would be would maybe satiate some of those concerns that the ETF's the tail wagging the dog. Clearly, if that were the case, then this wouldn't have happened because some of those ETFs would have been, you know, the passive blob would have been too much for this to happen, but it clearly wasn't. This podcast is brought to you by Invesco QQQ. What do all the greatest innovations have in common? Agents, people who participate in progress by supporting cutting-edge ideas. Invesco QQQ is a fund that allows you access to innovators of the NASDAQ 100 all-in-one fund. So you don't have to be an inventor to help create what's next to come. Anyone can become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. There are risks when investing in ETFs, including possible loss of money. ETF risks are similar to those of stocks. Investments in the tech sector are subject to greater risk and more volatility than more diversified investments. The NASDAQ 100 Index comprises the 100 largest non-financial companies on the NASDAQ. You can't invest directly into an index. Before investing, consider the fund's investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit Invesco.com for a prospectus containing this information. Read it carefully before investing. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Another takeaway, another a story that we were watching is the relationship with ARK. Ten days ago on a Saturday, I remember tweeting out that there were people selling ARK merchandise. That's how red hot ARK was. And then it just, boom, GameStop came along. Claire had a very time capsule headline that said something like, GameStop's so big, nobody's thinking about Kathy Wood right now or something like that. And I thought, what a, what a crazy world we're in. And it's weird. ARK's flows went away for a week. 
And then as GameStop's volume and performance stopped, you know, start coming down, the volume petered out, the flows came back. And I'm like, it's really interesting. Perhaps there's a battle for which object can be shinier. I don't know, Claire, what were you seeing with this? What do you make of this sort of tango they're doing? Yeah, I was fascinated by kind of that inverse um, between ARC and GameStop. And it highlighted to me, I mean, we knew from anecdotal evidence, um, but it's hard to get a read on how much of these crazes are retail driven versus institutional for funds like ARC. And, you know, to me, I had talked with fund managers, professionals who were super into ARC, um, but sort of this inverse and this tango highlighted to me that there is a big portion of ARC's popularity that is due to um, retail, more small time investors, the ones who are, you know, wearing ARC sweatshirts. And when they were, um, you know, sort of blindsided by GameStop's rise, that distracted them or, you know, caused them to put money elsewhere. And those funds um, inflows, you know, suffered as a result. Also, uh, the other thing about this is that, like I said, GameStop became a bit of a VIX for a minute because if GameStop went up, the rest of the market suffered. Katie, did you look into this all, the idea that hedge funds that were short GameStop had to sell growth stocks to cover? And was that why there was this selling off of the market, which arguably hurt ARK because they're long growth stocks. So this is another reason I think ARK probably took a hit last week, or you know, at least their, their shine, their flows uh, were uh, diminished a bit. Yeah, I think that's the point where this turned from sort of a sideshow into we can't ignore this. You know, you have the S&P, the NASDAQ 100 are falling as well. And the theory that was raised was that hedge funds are basically having to degross and cut their risk exposure because they're being burned so badly on their short bets. Goldman actually has a basket of the most shorted stocks in the market. I think in January it was up over 40%, which is by far the best month ever. So you have these heavily shorted stocks. And this was exactly what Wall Street Bets was trying to do. It was trying to engineer a short squeeze. So you have those shot or stocks rallying like crazy. So it makes sense that, you know, the hedge funds that were heavily short those stocks would have to cut their positions. And that did we did see that bleed into the major benchmarks. And obviously, ARC was caught up in that as well. I agree. The market story was a sideshow for a while until growth stocks started selling off. Then it's everybody's problem <laughs> when Tesla starts going down. <laughs> um, but what was fascinating, and I think, you know, if I'm the hedge fund industry, I have to do some I have to do some internal introspection here. They picked hedge funds as their opponent, hedge funds that were shorting like these fun names that do things you love, movie theaters, video games. And it was amazing how much of society rallied around these Internet people just because they were against hedge funds. When you have AOC and Ted Cruz agreeing and uniting, that's how bad people like that's how much hate there is for hedge funds. I honestly, they, they have some image work to do, in my opinion, and Wall Street in general. I think some people just feel like that maybe there wasn't enough uh, uh, balancing out after 2008 of some of these Wall Street firms. I think they just hedge funds. You don't really you don't see a lot of outreach from them. People don't know what they do, why they do it. They just have the image that gets stuck. But I thought that was a fascinating one. And I, I don't know, arguably one that I think should be somewhat of a wake up call to the financial industry. Well, and especially after the pandemic, too, just only accelerated that. I mean, you saw the stock market go up so much and yet unemployment is surging and regular people are suffering. So I think I think that just sort of exacerbated it all. I do think it's crazy to see politicians across the aisle hopping on, trying to get a soundbite, hating on hedge funds. I think Senator Elizabeth Warren 
actually said that she wants to see more day traders. It's just weird to see politicians encouraging what is at its heart a kind of reckless impulse to pile into GameStop, you know, boost it by over 1600% in January alone. I mean, that's going to end painfully for a portion of people. Well, at the same time, though, there is chatter about uh, a transaction tax, which could also, you know, be at least a, a moderate speed bump on some of this activity. Okay, so we haven't talked about uh, another angle in the ETF saga that was the last week, which was a, exclusively an ETF story, which was silver. Um, SLV uh, became what the horde, the Reddit Wall Street bet horde moved on to after GameStop. Why SLV? Well, silver is an interesting case because there's a lot of sort of dueling on Wall Street bets about where the silver squeeze started. It started trending on Twitter and, uh, you know, everyone was quick to say this is Wall Street bets. And there were a few posts on Wall Street bets about silver. But then you saw people say, oh, my gosh, Citadel is the sixth largest holder of SLV. We're helping the hedge funds. This isn't Wall Street bets. So there is some debate as to where the short silver movement started. And that really highlights just the whole narrative of all this happening. It's like, who knows where these sorts of things start, but yet they do start and they kind of take on a life of their own. Yeah. Um, when I was uh, talking about, so I can't remember how it came up, but first of all, I, I picked up a lot of new Wall Street bets followers. So now I'm getting like information and I'm either getting helpful information or being called a suit right and left now. But one of them was like basically saying that and they had this diagram. You ever see Star Wars where they meet to go and they look at the Death Star map and they're like, there's this one exhaust port that's a flaw in the Death Star. And if we can get a shot in there, the whole thing will blow up. <laughs> that's kind of how they thought silver was. They're like, if you can just rack up the cost of silver, all of these big banks are short silver for inflation purposes and whatnot. And all the dominoes will fall. The whole structure will blow up. We'll get revenge for 2008 finally. It was ambitious, and it was laid out by somebody who looked like they were knowing what they were doing with the silver market. They had a lot of information, um, but it was just a weak shot. I mean, SLV traded $7 billion. They definitely rose at about 8%. I mean, they moved the needle, but to do what they wanted to do, uh, plus with the infighting, they all had to go in because GameStop traded about the same amount as SLV, so they were split. And that's the thing with this movement. You kind of have to all be in the same spot. And that's what they were able to do with GameStop on Wednesday, last Wednesday. But they were unable to do with Silver because of what Katie said. There was some infighting. And also, this is a gigantic pool of money that exists. I, I don't know. if I think they basically bit off more than they could chew on the Silver on the silver situation. Well, and, 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 you know, the other element here is that we go from a micro cap stock, which they inflate into something else temporarily at least, and jump over to the commodity land. And, you know, the, the other thing, Eric, that we've talked about with commodity ETFs is that this stuff is, you know, there's actually underlying hard goods that back this stuff up. Has anybody tried to actually redeem the silver? How much of the play was about that? I don't think you've seen that yet. I mean, so SLV, uh, it's... T plus zero. So we should be getting real time inflows like inflows for the data we see on Wednesday should reflect Tuesday inflows. But maybe Eric can chime in here. I think there's some weirdness about how physical silver is traded that it doesn't quite reflect 
the previous day. But if you look at shares outstanding on SLV, it doesn't seem that anything has been redeemed so far at this point in time, uh, which is interesting. But I mean, it's seen incredible inflows, uh, just record inflows. So I would imagine that some of that would come out, especially now that the uh, squeeze silver movement seems to have petered out. Yeah, I mean, SLV took in 1.5, I'm doing the math here, about about 3 billion in three days. That is a lot. I mean, that blows away their record. And that makes it the fifth most inflows of all, any ETF this year, just like that. So again, they can make a difference. But the problem is, compared to the amount of silver in the world, it's just not that much. But the creations just mean that there's going to be, you could argue that the vault where they keep the silver, which by the way, JP Morgan's the custodian. <laughs> Some of these were like Keystone cop plans where they just didn't quite think it all the way through. <laughs> then there was a theory that JP Morgan was actually very long silver. And so all you're doing is helping them. And then I'd see these people arguing with each other, like, we're helping them. Stop. The whole thing was, it got, GameStop was more like, whoa. Silver was more like a funny. Like one was a drama action and the next one was a comedy, I thought. What I thought was interesting is, is there are questions too about um, how the silver is stored in London and then how to transport it during a lockdown and just these wild things that these Reddit traders are, are impacting. I mean, it's just it's just so strange. How do you how, how do how do you transport silver during a pandemic and a lockdown? I think I think you asked for more time. <laughs> Um, another thing with these silver and gold ETFs that are physically backed, there's always been a sort of conspiracy wing of people who don't believe the gold's there, the silver's there. Um, that said, there's been a couple ETFs that have popped up that will let a retail investor get the precious metal sent to their house. And that's where some of them wanted to go to these alternative ETFs. But those don't have too much money. I mean, there's not that many people that paranoid. Most people are fine trusting BlackRock and uh, whoever else to store the silver in a vault. But that's always been a concern. And that kind of, I guess, came out here a little bit with their arguing again, because their goal was to try to, I don't know, uh, not let Wall Street benefit at all. Compared to what we saw with USO in the spring, where, you know, the prospect of having oil delivered to your house, I'd rather have silver delivered personally. <laughs> yeah, I, no doubt. <laughs> I, but, you know, for the record, Eric and I have, I think, pitched in the in the course of doing trillions, every uh, issuer in the silver. Uh, actually, I don't know about the silver game, Eric. We should double back on our on <laughs> yeah, our that's sources. Right. We did gold, but in in the gold world, uh, we've asked every single person to take us to their vault so that we can see the underlying asset. Um, I, I asked repeatedly for a bag to be put over my head so that it, you know we could actually really have the drama and they could maintain their secrecy, but. So far, everyone has declined, but that well, remains an open invite if, if, yeah. if anybody wants to put a bag over my head. Yeah, anybody listening who has access to one of those vaults, we would love to do an episode from there. I think Bob Pisani from CNBC actually got into the vault one time and he held up the bar, but then there was a message board that claimed that was all like fake. So, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. Look, uh, when, you, when you, once you get into the gold world, and I've, I've dove down there many times, there's like... Gold bugs, and then there's truly paranoid. And some of the truly paranoid, some of the stuff they come up with is uh, is fascinating. That's why, you know, there was an ETF that came out. I think it changed strategies, but it, it stored the gold in Switzerland. That was its only difference. Everything else was the same as GLD, but it stored it in Switzerland. And it, had a, it got a billion dollars just for that one feature. That's how much people are, you know, I guess assume that the West may confiscate your gold. Just on the gold angle, I... 
I just want to quickly add when gold GLD particularly was like at the height of its inflows in May, I spoke to George Milling Stanley, who's now the chief gold strategist at State Street Global Advisors. But while he was with the World Gold Council, he helped create the fund back in 2004. And uh, I mean, I was interviewing him about gold, but I couldn't get off the gold vault theme. And he was telling me, obviously, he's been in the vault. And I was like, how do you fit all the gold in the vault? That's crazy. He was like, what are you talking about? It's a gold bar. It takes up like one corner, like even $52 billion worth of gold bars only take up a corner of the vault. So I'm dying to see it one day. If you guys ever get in, sneak a photo. I think it would be. I think it would be pretty underwhelming. Is what it sounds like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, isn't there that okay. that isn't there that stat that like all the gold above ground would fit into a swimming pool or a couple swimming pools? Yeah, this is just, you're just like reading off Reddit right now. <laughs> <laughs> you don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at invesco.com/qqq. Invesco Distributors Inc. So what other causes of concern did you guys witness in all of this as it relates to ETF or or markets in general? I mean, Katie and I worked together on an article um, that came out over the weekend, and it it looked at sort of the craze. um, You know, there's the angle that Eric was talking about how these people are mad at Wall Street. And then there's sort of another aspect possibly about this sort of gambling mindset and how people are bored at home. They're looking for a sense of community. um, They want to feel something. And so they're sort of gaining that through this gambling mentality. And, you know, that could end up really badly for a lot of people. Yeah, it's weird to see this movement as being compared to in uh, virtual Occupy Wall Street, you know, the David and Goliath theme. Uh, You know, I've seen that bandied about many times. Um, And I I mean, there's obviously an element of truth there. Uh, You know, the big guy or the little guys trying to take on the hedge funds. But I think like in that search for a deeper meaning, it kind of obscures that, this is just fun. You know, people are using this as entertainment. We saw this in penny stocks, people punting around penny stocks. And, you know, like Claire was saying, that's what our article got at, that this is at its root, this is gambling. And uh, that wasn't too well received online. One guy actually made a 40 minute YouTube video about it, which was interesting. But I think that's an important point here that there's risks here inherent in any gambling situation. Well, and it's not always a bad thing, you know? So what if some people want to, you know, gamble on on stocks? I mean, you know, great. It, it it does sound kind of fun. I mean, I spent a lot of time on Reddit this week and some of it's kind of, you know, seems like fun. Yeah, um, I'm in that camp too. I, I don't judge and I think that this is also just the product of a late cycle bull market. Again, this just goes back to the whole theme of the TikTok videos and the Robin Hood and everything going up. It's a nice time to gamble <laughs> when the stock market's got this nice bullish base. Um, so my theory is most of these people will learn the hard way that they got to, you know, buy and hold and do something a little more thoughtful after a correction. I, I went back and look at articles from the like 99 and 98. And there was a lot of these quote mobs that were all, you know, they just were using different forms, but they were making tons of money in the market. And then it blew up in their face. And a lot of them were, this is my generation, converted to passive. And also another thing on the passive thing is, 
you know, I think a lot of people who are watching this, and I, I put myself in that boat, we think like, you know, if you're a passive investor and you first subscribe to the Vanguard way and whatnot, um, that is the way to sort of get back, not get back at Wall Street, but it keeps Wall Street's hands off your money for the most part, and you build wealth. So I do think like, you know, there's a phrase in the movie War Games that the only winning move is to not play. Because not only are there going to be tons of bag holders and tears at the end of this, but they're racking up trading costs. I mean, I did the math. And if you look at the bid-ass spread of some of these stocks, which is pretty wide, we're looking at about, uh, you know, 500 million-ish in, tra in trading costs. Now, obviously, that's as a group. But th that is, is counterproductive if your goal is to sort of starve Wall Street. So I do think it comes back to, as Dave Nadek called it, the Bogle hack. Um, that's the only way I've seen to solve this puzzle and build wealth and nobody gets hurt um, is to just buy and hold a cheap index fund and not trade it. But I agree, it's fun to trade. And I think if you just admit that to yourself, I'd say just ha enjoy yourself. I think we see a lot of portfolios being very cheap beta in the core. And then they, they go crazy on the outside with stock trading or options or ARC. And that hot sauce level, if it can keep you from like messing with the 80%, Great. It's actually a good behavioral tactic as well. Okay. I have one more thing that we want to, we want to talk about and, and Katie, we're going to troll your, your Twitter, Twitter feed here. Eric's pulling it up so he can I like read it. it. Um, I've tweeted a lot of dumb things this week, so you're going to have to scroll. <laughs> okay, here we go. Oh, oh, this is good. Cause this is, this is like right in the middle of the frenzy. It's sort of like throwing like chum in the middle of like, Already shark-infested waters? <laughs> Here it is. Ready? What would the Fed do if Wall Street bets engineered a short squeeze on long-term treasuries? Good oh. question. I would like to know. Yeah. I mean, it, 50 replies is pretty good. And then I, she did a quick qualifying second tweet that just said, this is a joke. And even... You know, even after that tweet, I mean, I got so many serious, like, thought-out replies, and I just, I don't know what to say. Like, I, it's it's a joke. Someone did say that, isn't the Fed trying to do that already? Aren't they trying to engineer a short squeeze? Which I thought was a pretty good reply. Look, That's pretty meta. I, yeah. I saw, like, I saw one of the tweets right off the bat just said, I'm here for the ratio. That's when you know <laughs> someone said something that's just, you know, outrageous, and uh, people just hang in the replies just to see everybody go wild. I hung in but, there, though. Let the record show. Yeah, you didn't delete it. You hung in there. That's yeah. I give you credit. It's tough to take that much heat on Twitter, especially in this kind of a scenario. Katie Greifold with those diamond hands. Katie, Claire, thanks for joining us on Trillions. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for listening to Trillions. Until next time, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal, Bloomberg.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever else you like to listen. We'd love to hear from you. We're on Twitter. I'm at Joel Weber Show. He's at Eric Balchunas. You can find Katie at K Greifeld and Claire at CFB underscore 18. This episode of Trillions was produced by Magnus Hendrickson. Francesca Levy is the head of Bloomberg Podcasts. Bye. You don't have to be a rocket scientist to help realize a mission to Mars. Become an agent of innovation with Invesco QQQ. Learn more at Invesco.com QQQ. Invesco Distributors, Inc. Take your business further with the smart and flexible American Express Business Gold Card. 
It offers flexible spending capacity that adapts to your business. You can also earn up to $395 in annual statement credits on eligible purchases at select business merchants. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash businessgoldcard.